Just a quick note before we get started. On episode 68, yours truly, your humble narrator, deviates from the normal format just a bit. We have a little section of thank yous and a very special merch giveaway and a deeply rooted, heartfelt dedication that takes place in the beginning of this particular episode. If you're the type of listener that likes to get right to the conversation, I totally get it. If that's you, jump to about 30 minutes in. And now, on with the show. Who that? Coming up on episode 68 of the Upful Life Podcast. And they come walking up to me. And I'm like trying to break down my gear. And they're like, boy. I'm like, oh, shit. Because, I mean, I got a lot of shit when I first started painting. I got, you know. <laughs> anyway, so he's like, boy. I'm like, oh, shit. And he's like, you know what you're doing? And I'm like, oh, I look at Scully. I'm like, oh, I'm painting I'm paint the, paint the show, you know. And he's like, ha. Ah. And he elbows Walter and he goes he's doing it he don't even know he's doing it and I'm like what the fuck am I doing he goes boy you're doing acoustic optics and I'm like what fuck did you just say and he's like acoustic optics and I'm like right away it made sense to me I'm like acoustic optics my head went bam and he goes boy that's the relationship between sound waves and color waves and how they come through your brain and out your soul and I was like, ma. I was like, ah, my life has changed forever. You know, I was like, I finally know what I've been doing for the last couple of years because I, I felt it. I just didn't know. Indeedy, dearly beloveds, welcome to the Upful Life Podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz, and this is episode number 68, coming to you live and direct from the Vibe Junkie Studio in Oakland, California. 68, sliding in a little late, but let me tell y'all, this one's an all-timer. So grateful you are tuning in.
Yes, indeed. Episode 68 of the Upful Life podcast is stoked to let y'all know about Secret Dreams Music and Arts Festival in Legend Valley, Thornville, Ohio, August 17 through 19. Big fan of this lineup. I gotta say, uh, I, this came across my desk a few months ago. I randomly met one of the cats behind the fest at Red Rocks last year for lettuce and unfortunately didn't make it out last year, but I'm angling to hit it this year because the lineup is bananas. Uh, I'll give you just the headliners and a few of my personal faves. Uh, we've got Grizz, Tipper, and Tipper and Friends Takeover, Sector 9, two sets, Detox Unit, two sets, Of the Trees, two sets, and of course my boys, Lettuce, one set, but you know it's going to be fire as fuck. And a number of my other faves in the mix, Break Science, Goop Steppa, Yeti, Maddie O'Neill, Cursa, we got the new Random Rab Lapa project called Das or Dads on Stage, Duffrey, my boys in La Special, Fela, Karina Reichman, who I'm talking to tomorrow morning for the pod, round two, you heard it here first. We got the All Low crew, the All Low Collective out of Denver, my new faves like Feel, who you're hearing in the background right now. We got Thought Process, Park Breezy. We got the Morning Coffee collab between these cats. We got Dillard, and the list goes on. Pre-party, Wednesday night lab group, Le Special, 5 a.m. trio. Y'all know what it is. The experience is a fresh and immersive festival focusing on both visual and performance arts. This is their second year in this location at the esteemed Legend Valley in Thornville, Ohio. Second annual Secret Dreams Music and Arts Festival, August 17 through 19. It's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Three unique stages, late night performances, yoga workshops, live painters, artist collaborations, interactive installations, and a whole lot more. Check it out, secretdreamsfest.com. Shout out to my man, Rob Chafin. I'm going to do my best to make it out to this, uh, what looks to be an absolutely incredible uh, festival experience. Secret dreams, y'all. Impossible to face when someone 
Yes, indeedy. Neil Francis and Nigel Hall, lovely day. Cinco de Mayo 2023 at Wawa in New Orleans this past Jazz Fest. It's going to be a very NOLA-centric episode of the Up for Life podcast. But before we get into the festivities, I want to thank everyone who's been tuning in, leaving reviews, ratings, donating, etc. It's been really, really heart-filling and empowering and um, the sincerest gratitude, the deepest of bows. Uh, you can, of course, you know, leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcast or your platform of choice. Uh, it goes a long way in steering those pesky algorithms in this direction, lining up new listeners, new ears, new souls for the Up for Life podcast, and we appreciate that. Of course, you can hit me up directly, b.getz at upfullife.com. Send me an email because I love to hear from the people. If you got suggestions or recommendations or constructive criticisms or partnerships, collaborations, I want to hear about it. B.getz at upfullife.com. At the very least, if you're picking up what I'm putting down, please smash that subscribe button on your podcast platform or listening service. You can also follow Upful Life on Instagram at Upful underscore life. And of course, on Facebook.com backslash Upful Life. And if you're so inclined and want to support the endeavors of all things Upful Life, you can go to UpfulLife.com. There's a support button on top, and you can send me a couple dollars for making you holla. I love when I get paid for doing the wild thing. Speaking of UpfulLife.com, you can certainly check in on what I've been up to the last five weeks or so since we last spoke. I was back east, uh, you know, lending a hand and assistance to my mom's recovery from the broken hip and the surgery. I know I told you about that last month, and a small silver lining was I got to check out lettuce the fiery four-night run at Blue Note, New York, with Buckshot from Black Moon, members of Brand Nubian, Mike Stern from Miles Davis's band. You can read all about that on Live for Live Music or UpfulLife.com. Same for Sharky Puppy. Yep, you heard that right. Snarky Puppy and Isaiah Sharky came together at Stern Grove, San Francisco, right when I got back to the Bay Area. Wrote that one up for Live for Live Music, and you can also find it on UpfulLife.com. And same situation for Ascension Maintained, Erica Badu and Yasin Bay. Slay the East Bay on the Unfollow Me Tour. That's my uh, piece on Live for Live Music, again, also found on UpfulLife.com. And there's a preview for the Blue Note Jazz Festival Napa, year two. It's coming right up in just a couple weeks. Unbelievable lineup. We got a sick crew coming together. My man Randy from Funkit Blog, my lovely wife, my homegirl AJ. We're, we're pulling a Voltron and we're going to swarm like Wu-Tang on the Blue Note Napa. But you can read my preview on Live for Live Music, of course. I want to thank everybody who tunes into the pod, who reads my work, who interacts and engages on social. Honestly, it's like a battery in my back to keep going. And I give thanks. Here's a little bit more of Neil and Nigel.
first-time situations here on the Up For Life podcast. I want to start with something super fun and super righteous, and that's we're doing a giveaway. We're going to do a series of giveaways over uh, uh, some of the next few episodes because we have a very benevolent listener, friend, member of the old-school Let Fam, Let Army, my man Joe W. You might remember Satori Movement, classic clothing line and lifestyle brand from many moons ago, but this is my dude, And he made limited edition lettuce fan apparel. Super dope. You may have seen me or my wife or select random let soldiers rocking the lettuce praise t-shirt or hoodie. And you got that right. My man has blessed us up with just a few to give away uh, in association with the Up For Life podcast. That was like warm my heart like a motherfucker. And uh, he brought it to me and said, hey, man, let's do this. We do, you know, hint, hint, we do have some lettuce pods on the way, but I just couldn't wait. You know, I got a painting uh, with lettuce on it on the wall, and that's relative to this podcast that's coming. And I just couldn't wait to give something away. So being that it's summertime, we'll go with the T-shirt. I've got a, a large and a small. So depending on who wins... You get a large or a small. And if you're bigger than that, then probably have to wait for a hoodie, which will be coming soon. How do you win this? Well, I really want to do it randomly and fairly. So we're going to do like just everybody's names in a hat and shake it up. But how do you get your name in the hat? One of two ways. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts specifically. Preferably a favorable one, but you know, I want you to keep it a buck. And then screenshot that to me and send it to b.gets at upfullife.com. That's one way to get in. The other way to get in is just to send me an email and tell me something specific that you loved about a particular episode of this pod. Doesn't matter when. Can go back to the very beginning with Mikey Karuba all the way up to episode 68. Anything you love. Just let me know some nugget and write me an email and that'll get you entered. And uh, from there, we'll let you know who wins. I'm going to do this uh, for the next few episodes. And if anybody out there wants to get involved in stuff like this and promote your wares or just bless up the community through giveaways that help get the podcast more out and about or more engagement or whatever it is, I'm all ears. I love to hear it. The fact that my man Joe came to me with this was pretty sweet. So while we're on giving thanks and, and the reciprocal energy, of the Up Full Life podcast. I want to, I've never done this before either. We never did a giveaway. And I never shouted out listeners or supporters before. But I've gotten some donations. I've gotten some other kinds of support. Whether it be professional or, or just empowering words. Or, you know, intangibles. I want to shout out some specific folks. Some listeners out there. We're going to start in the city of New Orleans, appropriately enough. With my man Larry. And my man Ira. And my man, Donald. Those three cats, independent of one another, have done wonderful things behind the scenes to support the Up For Life in general. Up For Life podcast, Up For Life in print, and and my work. So I want to, and they're 
many more in that city, and I'm not going to name them all in one episode, but we're going to start shouting out the listeners that are really, uh, you know, getting behind what I'm doing. And in the great state of Florida, or should I say the, the state of Florida, it's a great state. My wife is from there, and we have dear friends from there, and Swanee goes down there, but we all know what's happening in Florida. Almost my heart aches for good people in Florida like my man Stephen, and down there in Miami and South Florida, Aaron, two huge supporters of all things Up For Life, regular listeners of the pod, engaging on social, so that and, and, and kicking down a few dollars, whatever it is. I appreciate y'all. Same for Lisa in Virginia. Lisa is a huge soldier. Shit, she's a general in the Let Army for, for the Vir- Virginia area. I would say like the DMV. You know, she's running things down there and she's a huge supporter of this pod and all things Up For Life. So I see you, Lisa. And also Robert in Minnesota. Robert is actually a professional podcast producer, unrelated to anything I do. Invaluable resource for me on a lot of levels with this thing of ours, La Cosa Nostra. So, yeah, those are the thank yous for episode 68. That was Master Blaster, the final night, final song of Let Us Steal Pulse Tour. Stevie Wonder cover, one of my favorite songs of all time. So we're giving away a lettuce praise lettuce t-shirt from my man Joe. Y'all know what to do. Let's get into episode 68. for this one fam I was just thinking about you know I had Neil and Nigel singing Lovely Day and they both came on the pod and it was such an honor to tell their stories and today no I'm not having any of the meters on but I'm having something uh, definitively New Orleans and and close to my heart and something dear to me and so many others around the country and around the world so Naturally, I had to get into the the meter's bag deep. And, I'm, I, you know, I love when Cyril brings the, the Irie vibes, the reggae energy, the percussion. That's my meter's sweet spot. But nonetheless, it is my honor and privilege and a, an absolute thrill to uh, welcome to episode 68 of the Upful Life podcast, the one and only Frenchie, artist extraordinaire. I mean, he's like in the pantheon of one-word names, you know, with like Prince and Madonna and Cher. I mean, you can say Frenchie and people know exactly what fucking time it is. So I'm going to give you a quick 411 for those who just, I doubt there's very many folks listening right now who are totally in the dark as to who the hell Frenchie is, but I'm going to read a couple paragraphs from his bio at FrenchieLive.com. 
Frenchie paints with soul and celebration as he travels the world capturing live performances, music, festivals, fundraisers, and sporting events with style and finesse. From his palette comes vibrantly colored brushstrokes inspired by rhythms and melodies, giving emotions a shape in real time. His vivid, energetic pieces captivate art collectors, sports fans, and music lovers alike, as if they had the best seat in the house. Based in the talent-rich city of New Orleans, Frenchie is an ambassador to the arts and a bastion of creativity. No lies detected. Who is Frenchie? Born to a boxer and a saint on August 16, 1970 in the industrial New England town of Lowell, Mass. Randy Leo Frechette, a.k.a. Frenchie, has been drawing since he could grip a pencil. In grade school, he impressed friends with caricatures of teachers and classmates, but he did not realize his true calling until the Boston Horns approached him in Orlando, Florida and persuaded him to paint their performance live in 94. And since then, Frenchie's presence has filled venues both large and small with an explosion of creative spirit now i'm not going to read his whole bio because i've learned through this pod that the guest inevitably tells their life story in much more colorful and personal detail so i'm not going to get into all that you're going to hear an incredibly human beautiful inspirational story narrative journey from the man's lips in his own uniquely new england and bayou dialect which is fucking epic but i do want to just let you know why this is so special to me aside from the fact that this guy is a new orleans legend and a pioneer of live painting for music and and that whole culture and diaspora that has sprawled out of what he began and he'll tell you all about it aside from that Y'all know I've been going to Jazz Fest since 2000, save for a few years, this or that. It's my 19th year, just passed. And my first Jazz Fest, I went down there and visited uh, one of my homies growing up. This dude named Andrew Laganella. We refer to him as Lag. And he went down from Haddonfield, New Jersey to Loyola in New Orleans for college. So he was our guy down there when we came for Jazz Fest in 2000. He plugged us in. We stayed with him. We met his friends. And we ran around as if we were, you know, tagging along with lag. And that entailed meeting a number of interesting characters. One of them was a fellow named Brandon, Brandon Terracone of the Brotherhood of Grooves, still a dear friend. And, and it was through lag and Brandon that Frenchie came into my whole world because he was still, you know, this is 2000. He's been there a couple of years. He had a thing going, but he was not, you know, the one word name omnipresent cat yet but he did amazing work back then from jump and and brandon's own band had his that had their own frenchy painting and among many others that i saw back then so i've been paying attention to this dude since then and unfortunately lag and their friend jacques who i was also friendly with down there an older cat who kind of showed us the ropes around town um, both lag and jacques have passed on in the interim two decades. So I want to dedicate this pod with Frenchie to both of those guys, especially my guy Lag, because Lag was like this little five foot three, you know, just explosive ball of human energy. Good, bad, ugly, crazy, caring, loving. He was all the things. And and he was an, a year older than me, maybe two, one grade. Um, but I looked up to him even though I looked down at him. 
uh, in a lot of ways. And he was our entree to New Orleans and everything that came after that. So I think of him often. So I wanted to just kind of toast lag uh, with this Frenchie episode. And Jacques, too. We used to go over to, there was a duplex and their brothers, Jacques and Tony. And they each, one lived upstairs, one lived downstairs. And they couldn't be more different cats. And we spent a bunch of time, 2000, 2001, maybe even 2002, over that duplex after some wild nights. And I used to stare at this photograph on the wall at Lags and at Jacques, which was of those two guys and Frenchie and uh, cowboy Bob Weir. And you'll hear me reference that photograph in the pod. Um, so I'm going to maybe put that up on Instagram or link it in the show notes or something, but you'll be able to see it through something up full life in the coming days. So that was the, the beginnings. And I've been a, a fan of Frenchie's work, seeing him on ESPN, painting NFL stuff all the way up through, uh, you know, the folks that founded live for live music, Kunj and Sarah, when they had their insanely epic wedding in New Orleans, Frenchie painted the whole day, multiple scenes. And most recently, my lovely wife, Alicia, and myself were on the receiving end of a truly just otherworldly gift, which you may have seen me post the other day. And I'm not going to put the friends specifically on blast publicly because, you know, it's a private thing. But some dear friends got us a Frenchie painting lettuce at Tipitina's in New Orleans this past November of 22, which my brand new bride and I, one week to the day from our wedding, uh, got to enjoy lettuce in the hallowed Tipitina's. And and now that hangs on our wall. So I've been staring at that for a f- few months now and finally got the cojones to ask for an interview. I got so carried away telling that story that uh, the music went away for a second. I guess you had to flip the tape back in those days. Remember that? This is the meters from uh, October 5th, 75, Jackson, Mississippi that you're listening to. And, uh, and as I was saying, uh, shout out to my dear friends who blessed us up with this amazing painting of my favorite band and dear friends in the one and only Tipitina's Uptown. So that's why, in a nutshell, this conversation you're about to hear is so dear to me personally, because it frames my, you know, love and adulation, adoration, passion, support, everything that I feel for the city of New Orleans, like that is what's behind this conversation from a personal standpoint. And then from a journalistic standpoint, this is, uh, you know, Frenchie hasn't done a whole lot of pods, if any. I don't think I've listened to any. I've read him quoted and interviewed in print media, and he's a fucking celebrity, so it's not like he hasn't talked to the press. Uh, that said, uh, I just kind of was nervous as fuck for the first five or ten and he's a cool ass dude and that went away real quick and then he did most of the talking which is so awesome i didn't have to say a whole lot my man just fucking dove in and spun yarns and took us inside so many uh trials tribulations travels journeys adventures and of course uh his his time through you know substance abuse into recovery which is a part of the story that we we talked about in detail at the end of our conversation and it's an essential part of this dialogue is that that part towards the end and uh i told one story off the air 
that I just wanted to relay, which was that this dude made me feel like the baddest, coolest motherfucker one time. When we were down there for Kunj and Sarah's wedding, and I insisted that my future in-laws, Alicia's mother and stepfather, uh, join us at Jockey Mo's for dinner. I mean, all my years going down there, just like, this is my spot to eat, fam. And we were having an awesome dinner, and we spilled out into Oak Street, and we were peering into a closed Frenchie gallery through the glass. Now, mind you, I had been in this gallery numerous times, of course. Um, one time that comes to mind was like at 6 or 7 in the morning coming out of Maple Leaf, spun on a head full, uh, walked right in, and there was Adam Deitch playing like a grand piano in, the, in Frenchie's art gallery like at dawn for like six people it was so fucking incredible so anyway uh same gallery and uh we're peering in the windows and frenchie's like coming out maybe from the apartment or side door or whatever it was and he notices us and he says oh you want to come in hey man gives me a pound as if we're super homies but i'm sure he didn't remember me for nothing and invited me and alicia and her folks in and gave us like a 20 minute private tour this whole shebang uh and man did that make me look cool matter of fact the next morning at elizabeth's bywater when alicia excused herself to the bathroom i asked her mom if i could propose that weekend at halloween and y'all know how that went so i know i just went on for a while but i really just kind of had to tell those stories it's my podcast so hope you enjoyed it and uh just so you know if you want to avoid this shit you can go into the show notes and i tell you when the interview starts and that's right the fuck right now so uh we're about to dive in with the one and only Frenchie on episode 68 of the Upful Life podcast. And if you didn't know already, I'm your host, B. Getz. Yes, indeedy. Let's do this. All right, all right. It is my honor and privilege to welcome uh, Frenchie Painter, located in New Orleans, a living legend. I just gave him like a three-minute introduction so the listeners know a little bit about you if they didn't already, and I'd be shocked if the majority are not well familiar with your you know, prestigious career and influence. And I've been a fan of yours for 21 years. I just counted when I was doing my prep. Wow. I got it. And when I say it's an honor and a privilege, I really fucking mean it. So welcome to the Upful Life podcast. Well, thank you, brother. Really appreciate that, man. Um, really excited to be on the show. Let's, uh, let's get going, man. What's going on? How you doing? Yeah, I'm chilling. I'm out here in Oakland. We've got the last Dead and Company shows here this weekend. So there's a I lot know. of energy, a lot of buzz. And uh, yeah, I've just been waiting to talk to you. So, uh, you know, for probably since I started the pod, but realistically you know the past couple of years i've always kind of had in the back of my mind that i want the world to know frenchie's story so that's what i'm trying to do here today is just kind of take people through the journey uh of you personally artistically professionally spiritually if we go there whatever man but uh i like to start in the now and then we jump in the way back machine so uh cool. what's going on in the life of frenchie right now summer 23 new Orleans. Well, you know, I'm just, uh, I'll be 53 in August. So 
slow down a little bit, you know. Uh, I have a 11 year old son. I'm married to my wife Tina, and we have an 11 year old son. His name's Leo, and uh, I spend a lot of time at home. You know, I have a home studio, and I just, you know, I've been pretty much a homebody. I've been having a lot of commissions and whatnot, but I get out. You know, my gallery is only three doors down from the Maple Leaf, so. Um, I have, I have that. I'm very, I'm incredibly grateful and super blessed to, uh, live the life that I live, you know? Um, I mean, I guess out of everything I've ever created, I guess my, my journey has been the best, my best work of art. I think all for the good and the bad, you know, can't have one without the other, but at the end of the day, you know, just today, before we got onto the podcast, I, <clears throat> I just moved my studio from my home back into my Oak Street studio, which is, you know, much bigger than my carport back at home. But it's, uh, it's, I'm feeling a bit nostalgic today. So it's kind of cool that we're on this uh, podcast together. Um, just really excited to be back on Oak Street painting and looking forward to painting Pete Moreno tonight. <clears throat> Louis Michaud, and then tomorrow night painting um, the Dirty Dozen Brass Band at the uh, Maple Leaf. So, got it rocking out. There's no uh, shortage of live music over here on in New Orleans land. You know what I mean? Yeah, ain't that the truth? And nobody knows it quite like you do. And it's, uh, you know, those are two really definitively New Orleans shows, too, right there with the Dozen and Pete. So even in the middle of summer, uh, still the music is as hot as the air is down there. Yeah. You know, and yep. that's pretty awesome, man. And I like I told you off air, um, I've been to your studio numerous times. And uh, I was going to ask this question a little later, but since you brought up the studio itself, um, I understand like earlier in your career, you, you try to go down on Royal Street for a oh. few years. Yeah, and, which is kind of uh, a different scene. Obviously, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's <laughs> markedly different than Uptown and Oak Street. So, uh, yeah, tell me yeah, a little I, bit about I mean, that. I was, I, was uh, I just turned 30. Uh, and what's crazy, man, is, you know, I always wanted it's when you get to, you know, that's your goal is like to have a gallery in French Quarter or never mind on Royal Street. Right. So, um we were just, you know, back then I was just turning 30. I was painting every night of the week. We were going all the, I mean, we were just, you know, we were going all around the world, really. And um, was able to save up some money and uh, didn't have any credit, right? So I uh, we find this spot on Royal Street, 300 block, right across the street from the police station. <laughs> and uh, so we... Uh, <laughs> So I go to the, I, I uh, figure out who's leasing it. And, and it's this lady by the name of Ruth Ann Minutes. And uh, her sons, Dimitri and Paul, uh, handled her real estate for her. Anyways, uh, I get these guys, I go to these guys and they're like, what, you want it? And, you know, and I'm like, don't even bother running a credit report, man. And they're like, what, you you can't expect to rent a $12,000 a month studio a little credit, you know, and I was like, well, I got some cash, you know, you know, I can give you guys a sizable deposit. Anyways, long story short, um, 
my my lawyer knew their mother and that was a big help and eventually i signed a three-year lease to this gallery on royal street but we were supposed to sign it on 9 11 man swear to god and then it was on monday and so 9 11 happens and my investor my silent investor was in new york and he was supposed to fly in so he ends up renting a car he was like one of the last people to drive out of the city and he came straight to new orleans all my friends, all my family telling me I shouldn't sign a three-year lease to the French Quarter because they just closed all the airports and all the conventions canceled overnight. And I was like, everybody was like running from retail. And I was like, you know what, man? There's just, there's no effing way that I'm going <clears> to <throat> let this take my dream away. And, you know, I don't care if I lose my ass. I'm going to, I'm going to fucking... We're going to have a live music acoustic optics gallery at the 300 block of Royal Street. And we're going to rock out all the local music and all the jam music. And it was, <clears throat> there's no stopping me. So I went ahead and did it. Um, those guys, those guys were, uh, were nice enough to let me have that lease. And um, we, we had a blast. I had live music, you know, seven days a week if I could. Um, a lot of piano players, you know, like a couple of guys that have passed away, like uh, Willie Metcalf. Marcel Richardson, and uh, of course there was like Joe Crown and John Grow, and you know, and what was really cool being on Royal Street, like sometimes Alan Toussaint would be walking by, and come in and play piano. This one time after Jazz Fest, Alan comes into the gallery. I wasn't there; I was upstairs sleeping. I slept in late back then, <laughs> and uh, because I had to have a couple of condos above the gallery, it was crazy. Anyway, so apparently Alan comes in. And sits down at the piano, he's playing piano, and then he looks over and he notices a painting of him that I just did a jazz fest on the wall. So without stopping playing piano, he asked my 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 girl um how much the painting was. He buys the painting, pull, pulls cash out of his pocket, still playing piano, buys the painting, and played for like another hour, and then grabs his painting and rolled out. And I thought I was just like, man, that's so cool. Anywhere I go, something goes along with me. It's the charm of the city, hey, 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 the Crescent City in me. It's a New Orleans thing. It's a New Orleans thing. It doesn't leave you just because you leave town. No, no. But I would do, uh, we do uh, Frenchie's First Fridays because, you know, I'm an outside artist. You know, I never went to school, self taught. And, uh, you know, my whole deal is I'd rather have, because every Saturday 
the first Saturday of the month, they'd have the big artwork for all the fancy galleries, right? So I do Frenchie's first Fridays. And then that way I could go on the artwork if I wanted to. But uh, And there was no competition on Friday night, right? But it, and if it was crawfish season, we were boiling crawfish in the back. My boy, uh, <clears throat> Jamie Galloway, rest in peace, he used to uh, boil up our crawfish for us every time. But, I mean, we'd have, like, George Porter, Bobby Bill's Funk, and, and, you know, Rebirth, and James Andrews, and 12 and I, James Andrews and I, we, we're, we were really close when I first moved to New Orleans. And uh, he vouched for me. He, uh, when I got my, uh, in 1998, I got my Jackson Square license to display my art paint. <clears throat> and I used to set up behind the brass band. And back then it was tuba fads. Glenn and James Andrews, right? Shorty was like, like in, not even a junior high yet. And uh, he was still shorter than his trombone back then. And uh, so, I mean, it was, it was an amazing time. I was really blessed. You know, when I first moved to New Orleans, I painted at a lot of the, I just was, I just was addicted to brass bands. And I, I would go wherever there was brass. And there was a bar called Donna's on Rampart. And um, Mr. Charlie and Miss Donna, and um, they would let me paint there. And I would set, I'd have to set up with my third leg of the easel in the window and the easel on top of the table. And it was like like the old McDonald boost, and I'd stand in the chair and I'd paint from that from that position, and uh, like you know, uh, Bob French and uh, a lot of Kermit Ruffins, um, Derek Freeman also vouched for me when I first moved to New Orleans. Derek and Twelve, those guys vouched for me like Tuba Fats and those guys on Jackson Square. They wouldn't just let anybody. They was, you know, if you if you just watching them, you had to put money in the hat. So never mind showing up with an easel and doing a painting of them, right? So we were all on the one. I I get I'd sell a painting right there and I'd drop a bunch of money in the hat, and it was man, it was really, it was a really special time. <laughs> It was, it was really hard work, though. That's for sure. Those guys out there are really doing it. To have a lot of respect for the Jackson Square artists, you know. I kind of rambled there. Sorry. There's just so much, so many memories. Oh. Everything weaves in and out. It's, uh, I really don't think of my past that much, you know. I just, you know, just trying to get through the day for the most part, you know. Totally. I can respect that. And I, I want to say there's no rambling here, like, this is what this podcast is about. And honestly, right. I mean, we say rest in peace to a number of people in these stories and in these reflections. And that's a real motivator for me to do stuff like this because I want to get the stories down in the yeah. voices of those who lived it. You know, whether who yeah. knows what happens. And these are this is art and history and culture. And that's my calling. So I want you to feel fully liberated to reflect and as long yeah. as, as deep as you need. And, and I know that sometimes it touches on things that are 
that are difficult. Like uh, yeah. the person who introduced me to you and your art, uh, I grew up with this fellow named Andrew Laganella, uh, Lag. Um, uh, he was from Jersey and he moved to New Orleans in the early 2000s. And, you know, he was friendly with Jacques, uh, Tony and Jacques, the brothers. And oh, yeah. I spent some time with them. Actually, there's a framed photograph that I stared at many nights at Andrews of you and Jacques and Lag and Bob Weir. Bro, you got to send me that oh, in the back no. of Giacomo's. Yeah, I yeah. Remember I remember taking saying, that picture. I, I, yeah, I just because Lag had a rat dog. Yeah, I used to paint rat dog all the time. So anyway, wow, that's how that's long awesome. I've been down. And I know both of those guys aren't with us anymore. And, and so yeah. I'm connected to you kind of through them, especially through Lag. Lag also introduced me to Brandon Terracone, Brotherhood yeah. of Groove. So I have a, a Frenchie, like a, a poster of the Brotherhood of Groove. Uh, to these your, stages. Right. Alabama. I still have it at my mom's crib. Uh, and I actually was just given uh, an amazing gift for our wedding. We were given uh, your painting of lettuce at Tipitina's last November. That was a wedding gift from some dear friends who live in your neighborhood. Awesome. So, yeah, I was going to pull it off the wall and show you. Maybe I'll do it later. But so I'm just saying that's kind of the bookends here is like meeting Lag and Brandon and coming to Jazz Fest 20 some year 2000 and getting introduced to you all. I've been following you and coming to New Orleans ever since them and then. So when I say it's an honor and a privilege to talk to you and when we reflect on people that feel that here, I'm feel with that, you, man. I'm with you, man. And uh, I'm grateful. Man, Jacques, huh? Jacques, man, he would come and dance by me, bro. It was always <laughs> like, I'm just, cause I'd be like, man, I hope Jacques comes over by me and dances. Cause it was just, it was the energy and the love he put out when he, I said, I love being in the, just being in the middle of the crowd painting with my eyes shut, surrounded by everybody else. They're basically doing the same thing. It's just their form of art is dancing. And it's just like, you know, well, I don't have to tell you, you know, or anybody that's probably listening to this, but the the energy that is conjured up at live music events is, is really special. I call it magic music medicine, you know, and um, that's, that's what we specialize in here, you know, in New Orleans. It's not really about fame or money. It's it's all about a feeling, you know, you know. But to circle back to uh, <clears throat> Royal Street, <laughs> cool. that shit was off the hook, man. We had so much fun, and uh, I used to have John Sinclair would come in and do this spoken word like two, three times a week. Because if somebody would cancel, I called John. He lived right on Rampart Street, or I'd call Twelve. He lived right down the road on. He lived a few blocks down on on uh, Royal, um, and we definitely used to uh, have a lot of fun, man. And I really had the time of my life hanging out with Sinclair and Twelve. You know, we done we've been to Amsterdam, we've done all kinds of crazy things together. Stuff I can't really divulge, but um, maximum respect. But yeah, that was a great time. Uh, Royal Street was was intense. But I, I, after, you know, after a while, it was like, you know, I had to make $20,000 a month to make rent and pay my bills and pay my staff. And, and it was just like, man, you know, but we were doing it, you know, we were definitely doing it, but it was a lot of work. And I really, uh, I, since then I downsized, you know, I only had one other gallery that was kind of high end, which was on Toulouse street. And I did that for a couple of years, but. I just, I enjoy the vibe down here on Oak Street, you know, French Quarter, 
you know, the older you get, the harder it is to stay down there for a long time, you know. And now I'm so I've been sober for two plus years, and it that that's another you know that's another you know whole another aspect of things, you know. No doubt, no doubt. I definitely want to to get to that stuff too, because um, that's an important part of your journey, and also kind of what drew me to want to speak with you to think that you might be in a reflective space uh, nowadays. But uh, I also you mentioned about Jacques and really the dancing and the exchange between like the musical magic and the people moving and the, you interpreting that by rendering the art. Uh, can you take us, because, you know, I don't want to gas your head up, but I'm sure you've been told a thousand times that you're kind of like a progenitor and a pioneer with regards to live painting in the music, with the music, and so much from like out here at Burning Man to Scramble Campbell or John Bucati, whatever. There are so many tentacles of what you were a really among the first, if not the first to to make that, an essential part of the experience. Now, uh, Brandon tells me he thinks it was Henley Douglas and the heavy metal horns that was the first band you painted. Take that me is. back to the genesis, like you figuring this the fuck out and then it, it you know, wow. exploding. Shit. All right, well, uh, Hurricane Andrew. I go down there to do, I grew up roofing up in Lowell, Massachusetts. I'm a son of a boxer. Who's the son of a boxer? My whole family are boxers. I grew up with Mickey Ward, you know, the movie The Fighter. And uh his Alice, his mother, used to babysit me. And um, you know, George's dad and my dad, they grew up together. But anyways, so Hurricane Andrew happens, and I go with my brother Ronnie down to Miami, and we're doing flat tile and Spanish barrel roofs. Cause I grew up doing slate roofing. So I knew how to work the tiles and um ronnie was the salesman and he just dropped me off i had my my walkman and my my dugout and all the gear and i would go and we were fixing valleys and um anyways you know so at the end of the week you know i got my i got all the cash that we made we we're making pretty good cash i go we go to the florida mall that mall shaped like an alligator right we go to the florida mall and I go to the bookstore. And this is before the internet and all that shit. I go to the bookstore. And I like to go to the bookstore and look at all the black and white photographs. Especially the nudes. So I, was, I was like 19. <clears throat> 20. No, no. I was 21. And um, anyways, I come across this Herman Leonard book, man. And Herman Leonard, for those that don't know, he was, he was the dude, the Jewish kid that lived in Hoboken during the 40s and 50s. That was going into Harlem and shot all, all of all the I mean Duke and Dexter and Max Rose. I mean, all the legends, man. So, and I didn't know anything about jazz yet. So, anyways, I find this book and I open it up, and the first page is Dexter Gordon. And he's got like a cigarette down, and he's looking off to the side. And I looked and I saw in his eyes the same look that I would see in the eyes of all the boxers I grew up with right before they took the rip. It's the same fucking look, man. I was I was like, what? And I fucking flipped to the next page. Sure enough, I'm like, look at these motherfuckers. And I'm like, look, they're not having to fight anybody. They're going to go and play some horns, man. And I'm like, I'm going to learn more about jazz and what's what's up with New Orleans and all this shit, right? And, um, really didn't know much about all that. Fast forward. So I, I ended up painting paintings from the Herman Leonard books. 
Like I painted that Dexter Ward. I painted a bunch of his uh, photographs. And uh, I was just starting really to paint. I, I grew up very poor. And I always had the ability to draw. You know, I just could do it. It's what I did. You know, it's, it's my icebreaker. But anyways, so once I started painting, it really became, it came natural. But I'm ripping these pages out. I'm painting them. We get done working. My, I go back to Orlando and I'm a waiter at the Hard Rock Cafe at Universal Studios. The old one, shaped like a guitar, right? And uh, I, got, I finally get this job waiting tables that you actually made money at. Because all I wanted to do was work like four days a week and paint all the other, all the rest of my time. I was like totally possessed by painting. And um, so I finally scored this great job. And I got my waiter book. And in my waiter book, I got pictures of my paintings. <clears throat> but I would also, I had this gig where I would take balloons, a white balloon, to any kid that was under eight. And I'd freaking bring the balloon to him. And I had a Sharpie. And I'd be like, hey, kid, what's your favorite Disney's ca Disney character? Right? Because we're in Orlando. And I had like 30 of them memorized. And a kid would be like, Princess Jasmine. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, watch this. And I'm like, ee, 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 ee. And then show them a couple drawing marks. Kids like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, they'd be like, holy shit. You know, wow, mister. And I'm like, that's right, kid. Here you go. Bam. And, you know, it was the best feeling in the world, man. Like, I miss those days. It really, you know, and that was before I started painting a lot. You dig? So, of course, you're working at the Hard Rock. All the waiters and busters and cooks, they're all musicians, man. Right? So, fucking, um, we end up, these guys are all like, wow, looking at my paintings of all these music, jazz musicians. My name's Frenchie. And they're like, bro, you need to move to New Orleans. And I'm like, I've never been in New Orleans. And like, Look, you just need to fucking quit this job and move your ass in the world. I'm like, I'm not quitting this job. I'm finally paying rent for crying out loud, you know, and pay. And uh, so anyways, I um, this restaurant opened up on International Drive called Cafe 22 Tango. They had one there. They had one in Coconut Grove and one in Atlanta in Buckhead. And they would have like 30 to 40 artists on this roster and each artist had a piece piece of the wall where they could hang like four or five paintings and throughout the restaurant they had like four or five different artist stations and people would come and eat and there'd be all these artists painting in their little you know little mock-up studio and it was it was a brilliant idea it was genius and um uh you know i had a bartender friend of mine she was like it was funny because she was french her name was nadine I thought she hated me because my name was nickname was Frenchie. I don't fucking speak French. And like Parisian French have a hard time with that. And I'm like, I don't know what to fucking tell you, man. It's just a nickname. <laughs> you know, I got the nickname Frenchie because it was four other Randys working at TGI Fridays. <laughs> so they were like, well, I'm going to have to call you Frenchie. I'm like, All right. Everybody always wanted to know. Like, that's a big what the hell. So that's the that's Frenchie. First of all, I'm a waiter at TGI Fridays. Nobody would hire me. Right. So Fridays finally hired me. I'm like, yes. And then so that was the upgrade. Fridays to the hard rock. I'm like it was night and day, man. Anyway, so I'm already I left that restaurant and she came to Hard Rock and she's like, Richie, you got to check out this new restaurant. They had the you're gonna love it. I'm like, 
you don't hate me? She said, no, man, you're cool. But you need to go check out this restaurant and see if you can hang, if you can be a part of that scene. And I was like, I, you know, I don't really get nervous. And uh, I, I remember having butterflies that day. And I went there and they uh, they said, yeah, man, you can fucking be one of the artists on the, on the crew. And I started painting live. And uh, what was funny is my right leg would shake, would tap. You know how you fucking do that when you get all anxious while I'm painting? I could be standing, I could be sitting, and my freaking leg would be jamming out. And I, I don't remember. It probably was like 30 shifts in that I finally noticed my leg wasn't shaking anymore. And I was like, right on. And then I started having some of my uh, musician friends, uh, this one bass player, uh, Fly, he would come and, I, I talked to the managers because they played salsa. And I'm like, this is fucking driving me nuts, man. It's the same song over and over again. Especially I was just now getting into jam bands and starting to get into jazz. So I was like, finally stopped listening to 1988 rock, you know, Tesla. And, uh, I love Tesla. I, I Yeah, right? Hey. <laughs> but, um, I had that was like the only shit I listened to though. I grew up in Lowell, Massachusetts, right? So like, you know, I had a mullet the whole nine yards before I moved down to Florida and shit. But anyways, circle back to uh, Cafe Tutu Tango, and my boy. So I got my manager to say, it was, I asked him if I could have him come in and just play bass and and sing, and um, he did. He agreed. He said, "All right, you know, you can do that." We did it one night. And uh, they turned the salsa off. And my boy fucking did some live music. And then I was like, I watched him. And I'm like, huh. So I painted him, you know. So I painted him real fast. And then, like, right out, as soon as I did that, I'm like, uh-uh, I got to do that again. So I, I was, um, like, a week later, I'm at uh, the old Orlando, the downtown uh, Orange Ave used to be popping. They used to have the Sapphire Supper Club. Uh, the Blue Room, Skinny Dicks, uh, all these bars, they had live music, right? But Sapphire Supper Club, that was the band, that was the venue that that had the big bands, the bigger bands, right? That was like the Tipitinas for Orlando. And uh, I'm next door at this bar having a Franzi, and the owner, Shaney, comes in, and she's like, Frenchie, you got to go check out this band that's playing next door. I think you're going to love them. Right. And I'm like, yeah, what's up? And she's like, well, the name of the band's heavy metal horns and they're from Boston and they all talk like you. And I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, I'm going over there right now. And uh, I go over to meet the guys. We hit it off like big time. And um, I come back later that night and I was painting in oil at the time. So I show up with all my oil paints and I did the, the heavy metal horns painting right there. So that was my that was my first band, but my my first um, the first musician I ever painted was my buddy Steve the Fly, 
And then right after that gig, I ended up painting uh, Chuck Mangione, right? And then, and then my, uh, and then at the Hard Rock, we're at shift meeting, and they're like, "Yeah, Charles Barkley's coming in, and we're we're closing a restaurant down. I'm going to do a big uh, fundraiser golf pairing party for the Charles Barkley Foundation. Anybody want to work it?" And I'm like, "And like what? Yeah, new guy. What's up?" I go, "Well." I was thinking maybe I could come in and do a painting of like some basketball players and, you know, put it in a silent auction and, and give the money to the foundation. And they're like, huh, sure. Why not? So I, I show up with like a seven foot canvas <laughs> and all these oil paints and, you know, I was not invited back, put it that way. But I, uh, I made this big ass painting, Charles Barkley signed it. Uh, David Robinson was of the dream team. Coach Chuck Daly, and um, it was just far out. And it that was my third live painting, you know. And the rest is history, really. I just, that was it. I was painting, like, every night I could, you know. So, and what's crazy is that, I, you know, I painted it all, like, from photographs and, like, try to make it realism as much as I could until I find, found that painting, the live music, man. And then it was all like this whole nother, just, just this whole nother flow in this, um, the, the colors, the, the looseness, just all of it, man. You know, it was just uh, right away, you know? And it was like, it's not like you see the energy, but you feel it. And somehow your feeling translates to the color choices. It's crazy. But you can only... Uh, that only happens when you're like in the pocket, you know, when you could just, when everything kind of slows down and you just let go and just let go. And you're, you're just, whew. I guess I don't ski, but I can only imagine that's what it's like when you're hauling ass down a mountain, you know, in total powder, you know, or so I've surfed. So to me, it's, it's kind of like riding a perfect way. And, um, you know, just being connected to, to the, I call the uh, quantum entanglement all the all the atoms and molecules. So I moved to New Orleans, right? What year are we in in the move? Uh, Nineteen ninety-five. Cool. Ninety-six, and then so I'm saving up my money because so so basically, I take a leave of absence from the Hard Rock because I figured out a way I could paint full time and pay my rent and not have to do any work except. Bring my dugout and my 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 headphones and some paint. And I figured, yeah, there's a sports franchise, these sports bars called the Ale Houses. And they're all over the floor. And I met the owner one day. And I was like, um, I I'd love to come out and paint like for basketball season, paint Shaq and 3D and all those guys, because that's was the team back then for the uh, magic. And I'm like, during football, I could be football players and blah, blah, blah. And I do $400 a store and a bar and food tab and hotel room. And I'll get on the road and go paint all your stores. He was like, sure. And I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. So I was making 400 bucks a day, dude. And I was like, this is like, like rich, right? Back then. <clears throat> so I did that. Saved up enough money. Well, it wasn't enough money, but. I was like, because I'm now, now I'm already set. I'm like, I'm gonna move to fucking New Orleans, right? But I knew nobody here, and um, 
one of the bartenders from the Hard Rock got a job at the House of Blues because he's waiting for a bartender job at the Hard Rock and for the House of Blues in like uh, South Carolina somewhere. And uh, <laughs> anyways, I come, I move in with him. Um, but it was it was just as Mardi Gras was starting, <laughs> and I moved in because the Patriots, the Patriots were playing the Green Bay Packers, man. And fucking, I was like, I'm gonna go to the Super Bowl. I'm gonna go to the pep rally, and I'm gonna ask Mr. Kraft to fucking paint the game from his suite. Right, <laughs> this is how I'm thinking. And I, I went to the pep rally. Well, anyway, so so I'm like, all right, but I didn't have really enough money. But the Super Bowl was, so I was like, fuck it, I'm going right. And and I had a Chevy S10 Blazer, and it kept kept the tranny kept kept catch it on fire. <laughs> but I bought it from this mom and pop place, so to catch on fire, and I bring it back, and I'd be like. We're gonna fix it right up, Reggie. Just keep making your payments. We'll get it right back to you. I'm like, all right. So, like, I had no other choice. So I had this, but I couldn't drive it to New Orleans. So I had to get a fucking rider truck. And the only rider truck was like a 30 foot rider truck. I had to get a rider truck with a dolly so I could tow my <laughs> S10 Blazer. So I got like two cardboard boxes and like 15 paintings and a 30 foot rider truck with my freaking shitty car attached to the dolly and I went straight to New Orleans, man. I got here to like two days before the Super Bowl, meet up with my boys. And uh what was cool is the guys from the hard rock, they would take ships in New Orleans. You dig? And that's how they knew that's why because they were they're like, man, you gotta move to New Orleans. Cause we go to New Orleans every year for Mardi Gras, blow all money, pick up ships and drive back to New Orleans, back to Orlando, right? And uh so these guys were working at the hard rock. I had uh, just painted G-Love at Sapphire Supper Club like the week before I headed to New Orleans. And he was playing in the parking lot over, over by the rip. And uh, so I, I already had a gig set up, right? Like chewing gum with your headphones on, drinking lemonade, chilling on the front porch, got the run of all like you lost a $20 bill. And you got a free ticket, yo, from the scratch and whip. knew I did know one other person Mike Mike Rose who was the general manager for uh the House of Blues and I met him when I was in Atlanta that summer in 96 for the Olympics and I was painting bands and stuff so I go to I go to Atlanta I'm like yeah I'm gonna paint on people's windows like the ale house everybody said no <laughs> I can't everybody said no man I'm like but it's culture it's a fucking country man i'm gonna represent I'm like get out of here kid finally i finally got a fucking gig i was i had enough gas to get to this one it was the beer mug on fucking peace tree and uh and they had these awesome windows and it was right before the fourth of july and they do the peace tree road race right and i'm like i go there the day before and i'm like look dude i'll paint your windows 
Well, first I walk in and the lady's like coughing. She's like, what do you want, honey? And I'm like, I need to talk to the owner. She goes, no, you don't want to talk to the owner. He's an asshole. And I'm like, I need to talk to the fucking owner. She's like, all right. Okay, I'll get him. So he comes out. And I'm like, look, man, this is the deal. I'll paint your window. I'll come here at fucking three in the morning, start setting up. So when the when people when the people gathering for the road race for the you know the marathon, I'll be out front. I already have a couple windows done, and I'll bring people be attracted to it, and we'll pull them off the the route, and they'll come buy beer, and it's only four hundred bucks. And he's like, "Hmm, hey, get this kid four hundred dollars out of the draw to that same lady, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah, motherfucker!" And like, <laughs> I was dude. You don't even know. So I like I I go first thing I go is to like straight to Denny's, buy like three meals, puke it all up later outside my my uh half a pop up trailer that somebody let me put in their yard in the middle of summer in fucking Atlanta. I was, had a shit in the woods, just hoping it wasn't posing ivy. I was wiping my ass with you know what I'm saying. Shit was real. Anyways, I made it. I went back the next day. I did the thing. And then I got I had that little bit of money, and the next place I went to, and I had now I have my one customer I could show them pictures, and um, I ended up fucking scoring all kind of, all the Publixes and a couple of car dealerships, and uh, ended up meeting these vendors, and we had a booth set up. And I invited Scramble up, Scramble and I painted on top of the roof of the booth during uh, body painted these girls up there. And uh, we actually, him and I, we we were there when the uh, when the bomb went off. Man, we were we were literally a block and a half away. Wow. It was, it was, Anyways, um, but yeah, we still had an amazing experience. Uh, besides that crazy shit, but um, um, so I so I ended up painting a band at the Tabernacle, and that's how I met Mike Grosjean. And he's like, "Hey, kid, you ever make it to New Orleans? You can come paint at my club anytime." And I didn't, I didn't know what the House of Blues was. I only knew the Hard Rock. And I'm like, "Okay, guy." So I show up, and uh, I, I get down. So I, I stop my truck, the rider truck with the dolly, and it's uh, nine thirty a.m. January twenty fifth, nine thirty a.m. It's when I stopped the vehicle and I arrived into New Orleans, precisely, and um. Uh, so me and my boys, we jump in, you know, we go down to the quarter and I find out what to do in the pep rally for the Pats. Cause I'm going to go fucking, I'm going to go fucking ask Mr. Kraft. Right. So it's just like big security guys. I'm like, Hey, Hey, hey I need to talk to Mr. Kraft. They're like, get the fuck out of here, kid. I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I need to talk to him, man. I need to the guy. just looked at me and he was like, you better get the fuck out of here before I break your fucking neck. Right. Fucking now. And I was like, Wow, well that's not gonna happen. <laughs> I knew better. I was like, okay, I think I, I crossed the line with this guy. And um, so that was the first disappointment. And um, so yeah, so I paint G Love that night in the parking lot. And um, we're backstage and uh everybody's trying to give G a, a nugget to go roll up, right? And I, I got I got, you know. I'm calling it Crippy Wee because I'm still Orlando brain, right? Look, I got the Crippies, man. I remember. And he's like, yep. he looks at me, he grabs his other dude's butt, and he's like, Reggie, 
you gotta grow with the know it, baby. And walks away, and all the fucking local guys are like, oh, no. and I'm like, oh, fuck, man, you know. And I could have been more of a tour on. I had like a velvet hat and a fucking yard around my neck, beer yards, whatever. I was so tourist out. And um, so I'm like, I'm, I put one and one together, and I'm like, hey, buddy, <laughs> you live here? <laughs> you know, you know. That's Suffice crazy. to say, a month later, I was blindfolded and painted that dude's grow room. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, I live out here in Ganja country. I get that totally. Very, very good friends. Yeah, I've been blindfolded a few times, brought some grow rooms. Um, wow. Can can you give us like a quickie story like that? Yeah. Uh, cannabis cup, Pax House. Uh, I'm painting. Uh, well, first we're looking around trying to figure out which plants we're going to paint. Me and my boy. And, uh, so we settle on the Sensi Star um, from this uh, company, Paradise Seeds. Paradise Seeds, man. They, they, they had the Sensi Star. So this guy, what was his name? Luke. He was like total Dodge, six foot six. You know, and he's like, Richie, you are the American Van Gogh. We love it. We love it. And they bought, you know, back then it was the Gilder, you know, and they bought the painting. And then they're like, please come back to our booth. Only our booth. Fuck everybody else. You know, we want exclusive. And I'm like, well, weed and Gilders will get you exclusivity. And uh, so by the third night, they're like, okay, man, this is the deal. We're going to blindfold you and bring you to our illegal grow room. In downtown, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> so it wasn't until I'm like in the car and I realized I'm in Europe, blindfolded in the back of a fucking car. What am I doing? Anyways, I get to this spot and it's like this long. They, in in uh, Europe, they have those long apartment buildings, right? And they stretch for like city blocks. And um, we go up in the one, and they bring me up in the attic, and they have the whole fucking attic in this place. Like above all these other people's apartments. And it was like, you know, a huge operation. And I go up there and my easel's there. There's a couple of joints rolled. There's some reggae playing on a boom box, you know, a bottle of wine, a cooler full of beer. I'm like, fucking, this is awesome. And uh that was that was a pretty cool experience. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Sure. Tell me about it. That's incredible. Thank you. Because I would have never guessed of all the stuff that, you know, and I, like I said, I moved out here to work on the weed farms. It's kind of how like, I turned my life around when I used yeah. to be really fucked up and strung out. And I sort of flew out here and landed on the farm and talk about shitting in the woods, doing all that. But yeah, just the, the, the wild, wild west of ganja, or in that case, that was, you know, cannabis cup when shit was still hella illegal around yeah, here. Super illegal to grow weed in Amsterdam. Right. Or in, in Anywhere, really. The yeah, Spain. Yeah. They had it grown in Spain. Wow, but I can't say much more. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I don't doubt it. But thank you for taking us through that, man. I just really think that it's remarkable just to see how things have changed on so many levels, and that you were there at the genesis of a lot of it. And mm -hmm. you mentioned about like uh, getting, you know, you're. It's funny when you talk, when you tell the stories, when you're talking about the Patriots or Mickey Ward, you're you're the Lowell Frenchy voice. And yeah, yeah. And then when you get down south and start talking about New Orleans, you, a little more of a local 
flavor to your storytelling. So yeah, even right. that you can you can hear the journey in the in the accent evolution. I yeah. love it. And you, I think your regular speaking voice is like the midpoint between the two. You know? Yeah, it depends. Yeah, yeah. It, it it does its own thing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's unique to you, and just like your art and your personality and all of it, it's a, a par for the course. I love it. Like Mumu, uh, where'd you park the car? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> my man you you mentioned when you got to town that you know people you know took you in and showed you the ropes and like i know being an outsider and, and coming to a place like new orleans it's not easy to earn trust or get welcomed into the bosom of of a community and a culture so and and you've been around for so long you have so many relationships it might be hard to ask but you mentioned Derek freeman Derek smoker who's also yep. somebody like who was very kind to me and brought me into places. Nice shirt. Relationship. Thank you. Yeah, we got to represent. Uh, and I love Derek. He's been on the pod. And when the pandemic awesome. was going on, he moved out to Cali for a while. We spent a lot of time together. He's a great dude. So shout out to Derek. I was curious Derek. for for your journey and, and your experience in the past what quarter century in New Orleans. So what are the, like, the mu musical relationships uh, really that have defined your time? Like painting them or personally or you as a fan or or really all the above i'm not asking you to play favorites so just whatever comes to mind yeah well i mean you know there's, there's all of it you know i have been blessed to form bonds and, and relationships over the years um you know with, with just about everybody i'm you know very centered at the maple leaf and tips and that's what I do the majority of my painting. So, you know, early on, you know, Rebirth, you know, Phil Frazier, you know, Keith, they, they, they looked out for me. Phil, Phil was definitely has vouched for me. I think I might have more George Porter Jr. paintings now than Rebirths because Rebirth doesn't do the Maple Leaf anymore. So, um, but uh, like George, of course, and Ivan and Anders, you know, and what's funny is, you know, those three guys, they're all sober. I remember when I first moved in New Orleans, everybody was like, you know, I'm like watching George going, what the fuck is this? Like, oh my God. And they're like, ah, yeah, and he's sober. And I'm like, what? No way. You can't do that sober. And they're like, oh, man, he's been sober a long time. I'm like, fuck me. And um, and, and then, then you go see Ivan. And they're like, yeah, he's sober too. And I'm like, what? You know? And uh, Anders wasn't when I met Anders. We, we, part, we used to party back in the day. And, uh, but Anders is a big influence and uh, mentor to me now. Early on, it was, you know, that the more than 40 ounce federation, 
Oh boy. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We yeah, Frenchie's got bald head. That's 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 my song. And um I mean we go way back, like me and those guys. I mean Scully and I were friends when Scully, you know, was a waiter at Commander's Palace writing songs, you know. Um I was there when he had his first open mic at the old Hallowell where the Republic is now, you know. Was fucked up because and I didn't have paint or anything. I had colored pencils and I did a colored pencil sketch of Scully's first show, you know, in New Orleans. And then we're all partying afterwards. And then we go to leave. Someone fucking stole Scully's only guitar. <laughs> that was his welcome to New Orleans. Yeah. And that's and I tell people all the time, if you choose to live in New Orleans, she's gonna take before she gives. And you just gotta hang in there, you know. Because if you're meant to be here, you'll be here, you know? But it doesn't work out for everybody. You know, back in the day, it was like Astral Project, Charlie Denard, Rose, and those guys. Um, fucking always, though, Johnny V was always there. Uh, the Wild Magnolias, you know, that's some of my, I mean, just what, what the fuck, right? Like, woo! Just insane, you know? And now in New Orleans, you got like um, Tribal Gold. You got Juan Pardo, you got Chawa, you got the Rumble, Rumble, all these fucking awesome Mardi Gras Indian bands, man. It's like heaven when it comes to that. Same with the brass, all the new brass bands, you know, TBC, um, New Breed. These guys, it's awesome. You know, it's it's that's the thing. You know, New Orleans, it's just always keeps putting it out. It's a big. You know, the, the community is very involved with that. 12, James Andrews is very involved with that as well. <clears throat> and Shorty. It's pretty awesome, man. But, uh, you know, but it's, you know, it's, Wallace is a tough city, you know, when you got all that beauty and then you got all that, all the darkness too. And I wish, I wish we could bring everybody up, but it's just not happening at the moment. Just got to double down on our own little, energy pods that we have and hopefully that well it does radiate out you know and you know that's that's where it starts you know family first man but um yeah i mean alan Toussaint, i mean come on so i, I got a pretty good story <clears throat> so i'm like two or three months in new orleans and my buddy mike dylan not the actor um uh, he had a band, and in his band he had uh, Earl Turpin, Willie T's brother, Earl, and uh, on saxophone, Walter Payton on bass, Nicholas Payton's dad, uh, and Irvin Mayfield was playing piano. He was like nineteen, and uh, 
we're at the Funky Bot. And uh, I paid the gig, and Scully was with me. And we paid the gig, and after the gig, Earl comes walking up to me, him and Walter. And Earl had, like, this African gold robe on, you know? And they come walking up to me, and I'm, like, trying to break down my gear. And they're like, boy! I'm like, oh, shit. Because, I mean, I got a lot of shit when I first started painting. I got, you know. <laughs> anyway, so he's like, what? I'm like, oh, shit. And he's like, you know what you're doing? And I'm like, uh, I look at Scully. I'm like, oh, I'm painting I'm paint the, paint the show, you know? And he's like, ha. And he elbows Walter. And he goes, he's doing it. He don't even know he's doing it. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? He goes, boy, you're doing acoustic optics. And I'm like, what? Fuck, did you just say? And he's like, acoustic optics. And I'm like, right away, it made sense to me. I'm like, acoustic optics. My head went, bam. And he goes, boy, that's the relationship between sound waves and color waves and how they come through your brain and out your soul. And I was like, ma. And I was like, ah. My life has changed forever, you know. I was like, I finally know what I've been doing for the last couple of years because I, I felt it. I just didn't know, right? So yeah, that's uh, so hashtag acoustic optics. That's my hashtag. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying this any of my passwords. If it is, I'm changing them today. But uh, yeah, that's a good word. So yeah, that happened. And there was one one other time when I first started painting. I was at Donna's and uh, at the end of the show, the old man comes up to me. He goes, all right, boy. See that boy, that man over there? And I'm like, mm-hmm. He's like, he ain't purple. He's black. See that? I'm not green. I'm black too, boy. You better get your shit right. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And I was like, ever since then, I, I'm uh, Straight on. I try to get the uh, skin tones right. Because uh, back in the day, I'd make people the aura, the energy, the translation of the translation of the music, the acoustic the optics, which I didn't know was happening. That would go into the skin tones, right? So then I, what happened with, with that bit of advice from an elder, I blew out those vibrations away coming out of the musicians instead of in them. So I just nailed down the skin tones and then I'd use that color and I just, that'd be like the acoustic optics or the, you know, the energy coming out of each musician, you know, and that's where you'll always see like the little different colors around different guys, you know, and I don't think about that shit when I'm doing it. Well, after when I look at it in hindsight, I'm like, okay, all right. All right, so that was I can kind of feel what part of the set I was working on. I can kind of trace it back to that. Yeah. That is fucking deep. I mean, from Earl and uh, did I get it right? Acoustic optics, acoustic optics, acoustic yeah. optics. Yeah, and just you yeah. know the way you right. delivered it, like the way you the way you like embodied his delivering it to you, and uh, your mind blowing. I mean. Really, for somebody to put a label on this thing that has taken over your whole being and say, that's what you're doing. Well, you don't even know what you're doing, but you're doing it's got to have been like one of those like you know, snap a synapse moments where your brain just 
And well, just when you don't think it get any crazier, fast forward a few years after that, uh, I get done painting a um, Walt the Wolfman's. Was Walt? No. I forget what his show was, but Eric Traub was sitting at the bar, and he was saxophone player for Dr. John, right? And he comes in, very serious dude, and he's like, he had a deep voice, and he's like, Brody, come here, come here, get a piece of paper, pen. I'm like, oh shit, this gotta be something going down. He wants me to write it down. I'm like, this is awesome. He's like, first he's talking to me. And um, rest in peace, by the way, Eric Trump. So he comes up, he goes, write this word down. Acousto optics. And I'm like, I ain't saying nothing. And he's like, so back in the turn of the century in Russia, the czar, those guys were just fucking going off, just making art, making music, and doing all kinds of crazy shit and experimenting. And he goes, there was these conductors and they experimented with peering up sound and light and color. And he goes, this one, this one conductor actually built a fucking music room with a glass ceiling, a stained glass ceiling. And they had tarps over the fucking ceiling and they wait for the weather to be right. And then they have these huge orchestra concerts in the fucking in the in, in, in the building and during certain sections they'd pull back the tarps and green would go shooting through into the crowd from the ceiling and then they put cover that and then open up the red and cover that and open up the yellow and that was the first fucking light show live concert light show right so I had to go I actually went to the library over here on Carrollton to look it up um because the google machine wasn't quite ready back then and uh yeah it was pretty fascinating and then so earl of course earl's interpretation it was closer to my heart than uh eric but it was the same premise and that's where i guess where earl heard it but then you know the way we translate it is is a soulful thing you know for sure but uh that was yeah, so if you look at it, you can look at Acousto Optics. But I call I go with Acousti Optics, but it's a real thing, man. The Russians yeah. were doing it. I love that, especially the dual like messenger, because like it sounds like Earl was coming from like a, a, a Sun Ra perspective or something. Yes, and then like uh, Eric Traub is coming from more of like the the historical etymology. <laughs> yeah, With the proper traditional like. You know, like Kermit okay. Ruffins or Witten. <laughs> right. <laughs> Touche. Yeah, man. When I die, when I die, you better second line. Second line. When I die, when I die, you better monkey shine. Take your time. You better put my coffin on top of the ball. Put the jukebox on a closer walk. When I die. Lord, you better second line. You know, I was always wondering, and I know a lot of people wondered, I didn't realize the sport. I mean, obviously, I grew up going to Eagles games with my dad in Philly, and, and I still, I'm staring at a rendering of uh, the Eagles right in front of me to my left here. So football is a big part of, of my like childhood and my life, and my dad passed on, and my NFL fandom is kind of tied to our memories and such. So... Uh, when you started getting involved with the Saints and ESPN, I know you're a Pats guy and you've already described. Well, 
how origi- so, you were originally a Pats guy. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and you described how you came down and tried to get with Mr. Kraft. And I remember that Super Bowl. That was like Drew Bledsoe, Brett Favre, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Bowl. So, yeah, I just wanted you to maybe just like you did with the music. Tell me about getting like welcomed into the world of the NFL and, and the Saints and and actually being like an ambassador for the city's football team, which is an honor, maybe like even bigger than any of the music stuff. Uh, well, I yeah, well, definitely more, more exposure. Sure. Most, I guess more exposure. Way more exposure. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's I misspoke. More exposure. Yeah. Well, I um, but when I when I just opened up that gallery, it was right after nine eleven and all that, and um, they started having the games again. I I uh, painted a fundraiser for breast cancer at the Ritz, and uh. They didn't have, there was no local talent. Everybody was on the road doing Katrina fundraisers or 9-11 fundraisers. Like they hired up all these, you know, was, everybody was traveling doing the, the uh, 9-11 fundraisers. And um, so they only had the Marine color guard as entertainment for this fundraiser, you know? And I was there to, I was hired to do a painting of of the fundraiser. And normally that's like I paint a band, right? And then I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm like, all right, well, I'll paint the color guard, right? So I lay out the color guard on this canvas. And then they go do the live auction thing. And a couple of people bid. And then finally this one guy stands up and bids. It's Tom Benson. And it's his it's his freaking party. And everybody sits down. <clears throat> so I'm like, what? These are my boy. I'm like, dude, Tom Benson just bought the baby. That's awesome. So a couple of days later, I'm like, I go, my boy's getting ready to go to the Saints facility and, and deliver the panic for him, right? And um, I'm like, all right, look, dude, man, you got to ask him if I can paint on the sidelines, bro. And he's like, sure, man, I'll ask. So he comes back. He's like, dude, we got to go down the pool. Mr. Benson wants to meet you. He's totally sad, man. He, he thinks it's a great idea. And I'm like, what? And um, so fast forward, you know, I'm, I signed a contract. Um and I started painting all the home games that season on the sidelines. Painted every every home game, and um, it, it was it was just it's it's crazy. It's only magic when you don't know you're, you're you're in it. You know what I mean? Like I had no idea. I was just I was just trying to get there on time, man. Sunday morning at noon? Are you kidding me? That's kickoff. No, I missed probably ninety nine percent of the kickoffs. I never made. I was like, oh, this. There's only one 12 o'clock on Sunday and it's at night, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know what this 12 a.m. on Sunday thing is, but, uh, but it was, um, you know, it was awesome. It was frightening. You know, when you have, sometimes you make a shitty painting <laughs> and there's 70,000 people watching you make a shitty painting. It's not cool, man. But uh, those first couple of years were tough because our team sucked really bad. Uh, Jim, Jim has it was coach and like, um, it was Dicka, and then has, you know, like Aaron Brooks era. Yeah, okay. yeah, totally. And um, we just uh, what what was hard about it was the first half was always fun, but then we'd be down by twenty points and everybody would leave. So I'm I'm sitting there painting on the sidelines, getting heckled in the Superdome on my home turf, dude. I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me! How many times are people gonna call me Picasso? You know, I'm like, this is going, this is not cool. 
especially the Philly people. Wow, I tell you, Philly man. I'm sorry. It's the only man. other city that gives New Orleans a run for the money for the tailgate. Because I've been, I've been all of them for Monday night, dude. Philly's Respect. fucking hardcore, and yeah. you can get a cheesesteak too across the street. That doesn't suck. Um, Tony but, Luke's, yep, Tony Luke's right across the street. Yeah, and that weird strip mall thing. Yep. Yeah, dude, I got two. I almost fucking missed the gate because I fell asleep in my rental car. I was so stuffed. <laughs> I ate both of those babies though. Painting on the sidelines at the Saints games was really, yeah, it was, it was, it was a, it was a very challenging gig. But you know, I did like eight, did eight years. The thing with uh, the sideline paintings, so I'm painting on the sidelines, and uh, Greg Bensel, who does uh, community and media outreach and marketing, he he takes care of like all the all the uh, celebrities and, and takes care of the players. He's a great guy. Anyways, Greg. Uh, told Jay Rothman back then it was Sunday night football. It wasn't Monday night football yet for ESPN. It was Sunday night. And I uh, told Jay Rothman about him. So Jay Rothman was the producer for Sunday night. So I get this phone call. And the guy's like, uh, yeah, hey, man. Um, so I got this job. It's like in tight quarters, high energy. You can pick something like that, right? And I'm like, yeah. What do you do, man? You know, and he's like, well, I'm the producer for Sunday Night Football. I was thinking maybe having you come into my production trailer and paint me and my my, my director while we're calling the shots for the game. I'm like, what? I got this photo. <laughs> I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And um, he's like, well, can you, can, you, can you do that tomorrow night? You know, and I'm like, no. He's like, what? And I'm like, no, man. I'm going to be on the sidelines painting the game. We paint a win because I always painted wins, even though we didn't weren't winning, but I painted wins. And uh, he was like, All right, I respect that. I respect that. He goes, Well, if you have time, stop by the trailer. I'd love to meet you in person. I'm like, All right. So I stopped by the trailer. Right away, we hit it off. We just fucking, right away, we hit it off. This guy's great. Deadhead went to uh, Boulder for broadcasting and he called his first football game in, in, in that stadium where the Dead Co played. Folsom. Wow. So the producer for Monday Night Football, ESPN, called his first game in Folsom while going to see Jerry on the Rocks when he was a college student. Yeah. This guy. Right? Total stud. Total stud. And um, so I meet him. He walks me through everything. He's like, I want you to come back. And he goes, well, he goes, well, we need to set up a thing. You know, when you can come paint me doing this. And I'm like, all right, man. And then and he goes, you know what? I got an idea. He goes, I'm going to fly you out to a couple of games. And and I want you to learn all the stuff behind the scenes. So when you're looking at my screens, you know whose voices are behind those cameras, the camera guys in their positions. And I just want you to know the, the guys doing the replay and, and chopping up film, and all, you know, graphics truck, and special ops truck. And I'm like, awesome right so like it wasn't for like another year later did i paint his production truck and it was actually in jacksonville and um so i mean like i lasted like eight i was i got cut the year right before we won the super bowl <laughs> but because of that i called my buddy jay up and I'm like, man, i got cut man and he's like 
everybody gets cut, dude. That's it's football, right? Yeah, I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. yeah, you know, I'm like, all right. He goes, look, Frenchie, you come out to any Monday night games you want. We'll get you on the sidelines. You pay your ass off, and um, and that's when I forged the relationship with Jay, and ended up doing, I don't even know how many uh, Monday night games. And then what I ended up doing was not only painting his truck, I painted out like in Philly. I painted the in Philly. I painted the graphics truck. I was inside the graphics truck during the game, painting Monday night football production behind the scenes going down. Seattle, I did the. Uh, Phoenix, I did the replay truck. Green Bay, I did the uh, um, spider cam guys. It's actually the 50-yard line. And it's like all the different – it was like – so I geek out on the cameras and all the gear. I love that shit. Um, Pittsburgh, I painted the uh, broadcast booth. I painted broadcast booth in uh, Foxborough. And, uh, and then all the other ones were like games. You know, the other ones were Saints playing and I was – like I did a couple of games away at the uh, Georgia Dome, uh, painting the Saints this one time. Enemy territory. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I get so so. This I'm gonna go back to painting at the Superdome when we sucked and having these hecklers, right? So by by the last couple of minutes, you know, two minute warning. It's just like I'm just getting swarmed by. The opposing team members, right? Let's see it. Let's see it. I'm like, fuck you. It's a win, you know. And they're like, <clears throat> well, my boy, the whistle monster, Leroy, right? Where's the big whistle on his head? Get us book of records, loudest whistler. He'd come over and just like, <laughs> who that? And just fucking blowing with this whistle and those guys and, and just. Everybody was, fuck you, man. That's not cool, man. And he just like, everybody was scattered. And then it would just be him and I for the last two minutes, right? And then we became best friends, and he's my kid's godfather now. Yeah, and it, so we're in Atlanta, and I didn't know he was at the game. And I, I found a spot to paint, and I set up my shit. And then right above my easel on the wall, Leroy sitting right there, dude. Full gear, helmet, all of it. And we're like going back and forth, high five and throughout. We ended up beating the Falcons. Drew Brees had a fucking record game. And uh Leroy and I were both featured on Sports Center as the opening video. It shows me painting and screaming defense and then it pans up the whistle blow this whistle and we're just like freaking out. <laughs> We go back to our hotel. Well, we went back to his room. We put on ESPN. Like, I wonder if they're going to show the game, right? We put it on, and then we see us. We're like, holy shit. Like, we're like little kids, man. It was, it was awesome. I'm Sports Center. Hello, guys, Frenchie. Yeah. Tip. Top artist in the area with uh, a little bit of. An artistic New Orleans-style remembrance of uh, record-setting night for the Saints. That's a good memory right there. So, yeah, back to Saints sucking really bad. I did all those years, and then the hurricane happened. And I was there the preseason game. They moved it up from Sunday to Friday because of the hurricane. And then for the uh, the home opener, you know, which was – that's that's, you know – 
that doesn't even all the even the all the uh, Monday Night guys. They were like, there's, "There'll never be anything that could top that." The sound of that crowd and Steve Gleason blocked that fucking punt was just it's it's you can't you can't describe it. You know, it's it was just so much and it was so intense. It was amazing. Off. The former St. Morton Anderson is here for most field goals. Look out! Right through! A pick block by Steve Gleason! It is scooped and scored by Curtis DeLoach! Touchdown, New Orleans! Remember, you can't line anybody up over the center. And what they do is they just create this giant gap for Gleason to go through. And he's on the kicker before he ever gets a chance to get it off. Watch how close he is to taking off his hand. You could not script this any better than it just happened for the New Orleans Saints. You know, that's, you know, the power, the power of community right there, brother. Funny story, I get there super early that day. I'm super anxious. And uh, I pull into the Superdome with all my gear. And there's nobody on the field yet. And I just start balling. You know, I just start fucking breaking down. And I... I like drag my shit over to the end zone and uh and I'm just crying and and I hear it's okay French I cried my first time back too. I'm like ah, fuck I turn around it was Steve Gleason stretching out and I was like holy shit I'm like Steve because we, we knew Steve because he was a big music fan and he would on Mondays he'd go to Poppy Girls Funk at the Maple Leaf and dance off his his sore body because he wasn't the biggest guy but he was fucking nuts and he was always in the game. So he was like, yeah, man, you know, we were talking about how you just feel the energy was just, it was just beaming and there was nobody even in there. It's like, oh shit, this is something special is happening right now. And uh, sure enough, he, he blocked that fucking punt. And then later on that night, I finally get back to the Maple Leaf because my studio was across the street and I'm unloading my gear and fucking people come running in across the street and they're like, yo, Frenchie Steve's here, man. He's asking for you. He's out front dancing. I'm like, fuck yeah. So I threw my shit down and went over there and we, the whole whole bar was just celebrating Saints love. And uh, that was a really special moment. Uh, Me and Steve back in the day, you know. Just remember that I didn't know that you were had obviously had that interaction with him pregame or the celebration yeah. post game. I think that's a microcosm of of just you, the guy, the artist, the human. Like uh, that, you're like, and it's like a Forrest Gump kind of thing. You're just like there. Yeah, I sometimes get that, and that's for a reason, man. You've you've this podcast has been amazing for a lot of level on a lot of levels, but a big one is just your the way you move through life. You know, like a tough working class guy coming from a boxing background, you roofer, and just by happenstance, by like some creator did this, showed you something and you followed it. And and what's become of that initial muse 
whether it was a scribbling a fly or whatever it's so beautiful such a human story obviously not without carnage loss trauma and and you've referenced sobriety numerous times and i myself you know i'm not abstinent but i had a 12-year opiate addiction we talk a lot of recovery on this pod pod so as much or as little as you want to talk about because you talked about you know you have a wife and you have a son and and your son's 11 but you're two-ish years sober so take me through whatever you're comfortable talking about arriving at the point where you said enough and and what's your life like now well you know i was always when you my job being in the crowd like that, you know, the musicians get it bad, but at least they have the stage that separates them from the straight up party. You know, I've always kind of kept it pretty good. And then when I got, I just got, um, you know, there was a lot of uh, anxiety and stress on being able to, make enough money to support a family and be a father. So I worked way too much. I overworked myself. And in the process, I, uh, in order to work more, I, I uh, started doing Adderalls, right? And uh, I never was a pill guy ever, ever. And uh, started doing, you know, I, I, of course, you know, you know, there's always the blow and the booze and all that. <clears throat> but it got to a point, you know, my wife and I started fraying a little bit. And that made me get even a little bit more darker. Uh, it was about two years of just darkness for me, you know, where we weren't getting along. And then we separated <clears throat> and losing your not having my son here and all that. I just... Uh, double down on trying to numb numb myself and not think about anything else, you know, and in the process, um, you know, and then the pandemic hit and the pandemic is where I got sober because I mean, it was to a point where nobody's checking in on you. So if you're an addict, you can do whatever the fuck you want during a pandemic. It's, it's full on, you know? And <clears throat> I got to a point where I was just, I got through this one night, I was, you know, or morning. I was like, man, if if I wake up, if I wake up, I'm going to call Ivan up. And uh, I fucking woke up and I called Ivan. And uh, Ivan put me with a group of people right away. It was all Zoom, you know. So Ivan and Anders, you know, Jimmy Combs. Um, all these guys are they're real they're just angels they're just I don't know how to explain it it's just amazing like um, yeah they're great artists but what they do outside of, of the stage is really their best work I think it's really I can't say enough you know and um, so and then, and then so there I am I always you know I was a I was always, I'd always sit in my sketchbooks and I'd write in my journals and whatever. And I'd always be like, you know, one day, one day, you know, I'll be like George Porter. One day I'll be like, I would know, you know, or Andrews and, and be able to be sober and be at the top of my game as well. Making the best art 
that I could possibly make. You know, I'm certainly not there, but I, I have the I have the knowledge now, and I just whether or not I put that to good use. You know, I um uh, I love my sober life. Like I can't, <laughs> man. All those vodkas and Crown Royals, man, unbelievable. And uh, didn't need anything. If anything, it was a barrier between what I talked about earlier and is riding that wave, you know, to truly paddle out, ride that wave, man. There's no better connection than a sober connection, you know. That's really the it's the ultimate it's the ultimate high as far out. Feel that. And never mind, you know, the, the family, you know, that family's all together. My son and I were never been closer. And um I'm just full of gratitude for sure. Yeah, you're right. Shows. We feel it. I hear it in your voice. I see it in your eyes when we talk. Um, thank you for taking it there because I know like that stuff's personal. And I, I will tell you, you're not the first person on this podcast to say that they're their first call was to Ivan. He's been obviously been a number of people's first calls and he really is an angel. And a lot of guys in that town, you know, uh, it's it's remarkable to see these these living legends and I count you among them, man. Even if you're new to the sober club, man, you you paid your dues and you came out the other side, you almost lost the most important shit and now it's better than ever. That's why I do this pod. I think that's why I wanted to finish with the sober stuff because it's inspiring. You know, you lived hard and you lived to tell the tale and you bring up surfing, man. If someone were to ask me, like, what compares to the joy I get from experiencing live music, it would be riding a wave. I did it since I was in the womb with my mom. She had me out in the ocean and I learned to surf when I was like five. And it's, it's seriously the most sacred thing on earth for me. So for you to use the riding of a wave as 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 exemplary of what you do or what you seek when I hear deep. So give thanks, brother, for real. Yeah, man. Yeah. You've been really generous with your time. I do have other questions, but maybe we'll just do it again in a year or two, see where you're down the road. Yeah, we'll do it again, brother. Um, it would be an honor and a privilege, but just getting, you know, well over an hour with you and for you to be so real, so raw, so earnest, um, just the eternal thanks and gratitude, my brother. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, one other thing I forgot to mention. Please. Dr. John. <laughs> Go ahead. Huge influence. Some people ask me, like, where does that uh, uh, Bo Diddley thing fit into the New Orleans pattern? And it's very connected to the second line rhythms, because it is a second line rhythm in its way. professor long here there's so many you can see the dr john in the painting yeah dr john fucking come on now wow all right brother you have a blessed day man same to you thank you for your time and i'll be in touch yeah you're right who that
Thought I wasn't gonna go Tesla with it? Come on now, y'all don't even know me. But before I digress, I just want to say huge thanks and a deep bow to Frenchie. What an enlightening, illuminating human story, journey, fantastic voyage. Call it what you will. It was so awesome how he just hopped in the Wayback Machine and took us on a few rides. That's what this podcast is all about. I learned so much talking with this dude of whom I've been a fan and an admirer for, you know, two plus decades. And can't say enough. He was just an open book. So a deep bow. And uh, thanks for bringing up Tesla. I mean, come on. One of two bands that I still regularly return to from the glam rock hair band era unironically the other one obviously being cinderella shout out tom Kiefer. please come on the pod but that's a podcast for another time and talk for another day we are going to just show love to the city of new orleans and people dear to us like i did earlier with lag i'm going to play two songs for the vibe junkie jams like we always do about this time because love will find a way and I'm going to start with my man, Brandon Taracone, because, you know, Lag introduced me to Brandon. Brandon became an integral part of our crew, both at New Orleans style and on Fish Tour. And he's still a dear friend. He lives in Massachusetts, where he's from, where uh, Frenchie's also from. They're from nearby one another. They both moved to New Orleans around the same time. Brandon has an extensive collection of Frenchie artwork. Uh, his own band was painted by uh, Frenchie some time ago. I have a poster of that. From back in the day, so I figured I'd play. You know what? Brandon Taracone's Brotherhood of Groove. I used to write about them on Jam Bass too. And Brandon's still a super homie, still making music with Crew to Groove and Skunk Sessions up there in Mass. Happily married, lovely wife Randy, two beautiful kids. So shout out Brandon. Thank you for opening so many doors for me in New Orleans because it really was the key to the kingdom. Everything I've done in music media and and podcasting and the written word and and community, everything can be traced back to New Orleans and Jazz Fest, and y'all showed me how to do it. So we're going to play Wookie World. You're even ahead of the curve on the Wookie thing, because, you know, Wook this or that in 2023, but let's keep it a buck. You were calling cats Wookies in 2004. 
So we'll start there. Band was incredible, featuring Lettuce OG, alto man Sam Kininger on saxophone, and another saxophone player, All World, Jeffrey Watkins, who uh, had many, many shows with uh, tours with James Brown, and then later with the New Orleans Suspects. So that's where we're starting, and we're going to finish with my man Derek Smoker, Derek Freeman. You heard Frenchie reference him. Uh, as a super homie, and I will co-sign that to the nth degree. After Brandon left town, uh, I would say that Derek is probably like my tightest homie in the music community down there in New Orleans. He's been on the pod. I've written about his records. His most recent album, White Splain, uh, was on my favorite records of 2022. And I'm going to play his soul brass band project. I was rocking the t-shirt when I was talking to Frenchie. Um, we're going to do this like, uh, if you want me to stay sly stone with a little bit of outcast in the middle from a couple years ago on OZ and that'll bring it on home. I want to say goodbye. Job bless. Give thanks. And we'll see you next time. Yes, indeedy.
we can work it out that way.